0: Well, good morning, it is a delight to be here. Uh, I enjoy being at churches where we're of like mind, Uh, and it's a truly enjoyable time to go over just practical discipleship uh, issues as we had this past weekend uh, in the, it's a counseling conference, but really it's just a discipleship, helping one another grow in Christ, and a focus on marriage. Uh, My wife wished she could be here with us. Uh, She had surgery just a month ago, and uh, she could not travel. And uh, I'm thankful for just the Lord's grace in our lives, even that I could travel, uh, getting over some surgery of uh, detached retina. But it has been a a joy to be here. thankful for this church and uh, their ministry to other churches. Many churches were represented over the weekend uh, at the conference. It's a unique church, for sure. I mean, as I was listening to Pastor Daniel uh, talk about uh, that you all are going to have fun today and that there's a business meeting and you're going to go over the bylaws, I thought, well, that's a different different way of having fun, but uh, (laughs) that is a unique church, a a blessed church, uh, for sure. And. um, This morning, what I would like to do is I want to uh, talk about the topic of uh, full devotion uh, to Jesus Christ. Uh, It's a temptation every single day, throughout every single day, to be sidetracked. It is just easy uh, to get our focus off of Christ, and so we're going to be looking at a few passages this morning, one in the New Testament, we're going to go back to the Old Testament, and we're going to go back to the New. So uh, just stay with me. Uh, First, let's turn, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I don't usually find the Apostle Paul fearful when he writes, Uh, he had such a, a wonderful trust in the Lord. But here's where he's fearful. Uh, Chapter 11, Uh, again, this is the church at Corinth. This is a church that typically drove Paul to his knees and kept him there, (laughs) That, that church. He says in verse 1, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid, and here he is, fearful, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Boy, what a verse to put on a posting note, just to put everywhere and keep looking at it through each and every day. That, that temptation, uh, that Satan's major tactic it seems to get us away, our, our, our thoughts led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he says there, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now the leadership here did not tell me... Uh, there's a problem going on at our church. Could you please address this? He didn't, they didn't need to say anything. This is a common issue with all believers each and every day. It is a temptation to get distracted. I was looking, uh, thinking back there, uh, some years ago, uh, a Soviet leader, Khrushchev, used to tell of a time when there was a wave of petty theft in the Soviet Union to curtail this. Some are getting distracted now. (laughs) So this petty theft is going on in the Soviet Union. To curtail this, the authorities put up guards around the factories. At one timber works in Leningrad, the guard knew the workers in the factory very well. The first evening, out came Peter Petrovich with a wheelbarrow, and on the wheelbarrow, a great bulky sack with a suspicious-looking object inside. All right, Petrovich, said the guard. What have you got there? Oh, just sawdust and shavings, Petrovich replied. Come on, the guard said. I wasn't born yesterday. Tip it out. And out came nothing but sawdust and shavings. And so he was allowed to put it all back in and go home. But then the same thing happened every night of the week. And the guard became so frustrated, finally his curiosity overcame his frustration. And Petrovich, he said uh, to him, I know you. Tell me what you're smuggling out of here and I'll let you go. Petrovich looked at the guard and said, wheelbarrows sometimes we are so sidetracked we get caught up with the gnats and swallow the camels a former police officer tells of the tactics of roving bands of thieves he said quote they enter the store as a group and then one or two separate themselves from the group and the others start a loud commotion in another section of the store And this grabs the attention of the clerks and the customers. As all eyes are turned to the disturbance, the accomplices fill their pockets with merchandise and cash on the other side of the store, leaving before anyone suspects anything. Sometimes hours, most of the time days go by before the merchant realizes something is missing. And then it's too late. Again, unless they have cameras throughout the store. Just distractions. Just throughout the day. You can start well. Maybe you have your devotional time in the morning. And uh, it's not long till your thoughts are elsewhere. And I mean, throughout the entire day, they're elsewhere. And that little time in the morning is not a time released capsule that just slowly dissipates through the day, as we need devotion each and every minute, each and every hour of the day. I began to think about what kind of distractions we're typically faced with. Sometimes it's difficulties that God has ordained to bring into our life. It may be health issues. Uh, We just kind of went through a whole month of various health issues, and it's just easy to get your mind on your health and how you're feeling. And your thoughts can be led astray even away from the Lord Jesus, or a loss of a relationship, or a deep burden over another loved one that you're maybe having trouble with, and you just focuses on them throughout the day. Or maybe it's financial difficulties or unresolved conflicts. And it just captivates. We're just easily entangled. Maybe it's certain pursuits that you're after, and that takes your attention away from that sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Maybe it's comfort and ease and pleasure, which our, our nation definitely worships. Um, I just saw on the way out... Uh, here a few days ago, the salary of a of a baseball player, and I just can't even get my mind around the amount of money they're paying this person uh, for a partial season of play. But it's just our our culture, all around comfort, ease, pleasure, entertainment, a uh, gaming. Maybe it's a pursuit of relational. Um, a relational uh, pursuit of marriage or parenting a uh, pursuit that you just focused on the children or grandchildren or it's a pursuit in job advancement or education and not that any of these are all wrong in and of themselves but it can become inordinate and it can just take our attention away from that sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Social media is definitely one of these things that can take our attention up to hours and hours a day. I don't know that I can even teach a class without someone on their cell phone doing something. Now, you may be on yours, but you're looking at the Scriptures, I'm sure. But it's just, if it it vibrates, you've got to immediately go to it. I was uh, at an airport um, eating breakfast before I caught the plane, and there was a couple sitting next to me. It was a father and his daughter, his teenage daughter, and uh, the tables were close. And I'm just sitting there eating, and she's telling her dad uh, that she's been depressed lately. And I'm trying not to listen, but they're right there. And he's on his cell phone, And I almost wanted to say, um, look up there, you know, and slap them. (laughs) Just listen to her. And and we're just so focused. When you go even to restaurants, you'll see couples, and they're both on cell phones. Maybe they're texting each other. But it's just the distraction of social media and hours and hours, or technology. Maybe it's a, a pursuit of fitness, Or maybe it's a dependency issue. You're more dependent on people, and you're not going to Christ, and you're finding false refuges in other places rather than in our God. It's just so easy and such a temptation each and every day. And I'm not just talking about you. It's about me. It's all of us in here who name the name of Christ. And for some, I grew up in um, above... Joliet in Lockport, Illinois. And it was not a good season in my life. I mean, I, there, parts of it were wonderful. Uh, I worked on farms. I thoroughly enjoyed um, working, um, driving tractors when I was 12. I mean, that, how can you beat that? But I enjoyed that. But I was at a, my dad was pastoring at the time, and I just, I was unsaved. And I was a Christianized pagan. And it was not long till I was distracted by the things of the world, and I, I wanted what the world had. Uh, I was uh, not interested in the spiritual things. I wanted to get away from my parents. Uh, I, I just wanted my freedom. That's where I was at in my junior year, uh, at high school. And I thought the world had a whole lot more better things to offer than what, uh, than Christ. And I was uh, wrong. I mean, God is true. Ecclesiastes says you're chasing after the wind. You're eating dust when you pursue all of the things that the world has to offer. And God, in his mercy and grace, a year later, uh, I attended a a boarding school by my choice to get away from home, but it was a Christian-run boarding school. And God, in his mercy and grace, saved me and converted my soul, graced me with repentance and faith, I'm so thankful for my parents who loved Christ, but when you're unsaved, you hate the light. You hate the light. And typically, Christian parents are reflectors of the light, and uh, you only have two options if you're unsaved as a child in a Christian home. Uh, You're either going to be the prodigal's brother, uh, a self-righteous hypocrite, or you're going to be the prodigal and just want to get away. And I was the one that wanted to get away, and uh, I was given the option of a boarding school, and again, just to get away from my parents. But I, you can't get away from the Lord. And he graced me with salvation. I'm so thankful for that. But I was attracted by uh, um, just what was out there. But it's so empty. And again, Ecclesiastes, it's just, it's just vanity. And whatever the distractions are in your life, whether you're a believer or even an unbeliever, I want us to come to the passage here in Jeremiah now. So if you come back to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2. Jeremiah, chapter 2. The nation of, of Israel. Now, the Lord had told the nation of Israel uh, about 800 to 900 years prior. Be careful. Right, they're going into the, the new land of Canaan. And he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Just stay there in Je- Jeremiah, because it's just 800, not almost 900 years earlier, he says this to them. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes. Which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your hands and flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. And then he goes on to say, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly want you to uh, warn you today that you will surely perish. It was just a warning. You're going to go, you're going to get distracted. You're going to forget the Lord. And in your pride, you'll just think you accomplished everything, that from you, by you, and to you belong all things. And here they are, almost 900 years later. They are distracted. You're in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says there in verses, um, if you go to verse 1 and 2, he says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness and a land not sown. Well, there was a time when Israel was devoted to the Lord. But now, go to verse 12, he calls nature to be a witness. He says in verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Wow, as a nation, again, they had forsaken the Lord. But even in their forsaking him, God is merciful and he's gracious. He continually calls them to repentance. He pleads with them to repent in chapter 3, verse 12. And also in verses 15 to 18 in chapter 3. He pleads with them to repent again in chapter 18, 7 through 10. And he tells them that there's a coming Messiah who will bring deliverance in chapters 23 to 33. And then at the end of the book, he's saying, and there is a future glory for the nation of Israel. So even in the midst of their rebellion, even in the midst of them forsaking God, he is still a merciful God, full of grace, seeking their repentance, a promised Messiah to come, and even a promised future glory as a nation. But I want us to focus in here, and you have the notes, I think uh, an outline in front of you, the charges against Israel. In Jeremiah 2, verse 13. The first charge is that they are forsaking the fountain of living water. This is turning one's face away. It's a... Uh, Your thoughts are led astray. Uh, Your hearts are led astray. Your affections are led astray. A choice is made to not keep trusting in and hoping in the Lord. It wasn't just a drift of how they felt. Their thoughts were going astray. Their affections were going astray. They were forsaking the fountain of of living water. Now, this is the living God that they are forsaking. He's the God of glory. Stephen Charnock, in his book on the existence and attributes of God, says when you think about the living God, nothing can add to him or make him better than he is. Nothing can detract from him to make him worse. Nothing can be added to him, nothing can be severed from him, No created good can render him more excellent, nor evil from any creature can render him less excellent. He is perfection, and they were forsaking him. And it's not just a fountain, a definite article. it's the fountain of living water. In Psalm 36, 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. We know in the New Testament, this fountain of living water was none other than Jesus Christ. Christ, before he took on humanity and took the name Jesus. Even Jesus said in John 4, 14, Whoever is drinking of the water that I give him will never be thirsty, forever. He said later in John chapter 7, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You say, well, that's in the Gospels. How do you know that's Christ there, the fountain of living water? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Tells us who the rock was that Israel drank from. It says in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's how we know we're we're talking about Christ, the fountain. What I found interesting when I was looking at the, uh, learning the languages and you start uh, reading the Gospels, I I found that when the Lord would say, believe in me, come to me, drink from me, uh, it's not a one-time event. The verb tense that Jesus would use is keep believing in me. Keep coming to me, keep drinking from me. It's a present active tense. That keep doing it. Don't not one drink, not even one sip in the morning will be sufficient. To drink at the fountain of living waters is to be drinking and meditating throughout the day, day and night. When you look at Psalm one and Joshua chapter one as well. So that's the first evil. Sin number one. Your thoughts, affections, and will turns away from the Lord. Where you're not drinking at the fountain, forsaking the fountain of living waters. Evil number two, which is the second charge here, is constructing broken substitutes, cisterns. It's an act of the will. We never leave something for nothing. Our hearts are always actively worshiping. We're always drinking. It's just from where? Augustine said, you cease to worship God and you don't worship nothing, but instead you worship anything. And our hearts have always been temples with active worship going on in them. I meet people and they go, Boy, I just don't want to I don't want to drink from the cistern. I just wanna I don't wanna spend so much time in social media. I just don't wanna uh, I don't wanna be involved in this, this evil number two, uh, this habit pattern that I have, or a sinful habit. I, I wanna stop that. Well, that's support groups. Support groups are typically around a particular sin or evil. And they're all trying to stop. And they all talk about their sin struggle and how many years, months, and days it's been. But that's a 90-degree turn. You need a 180-degree turn, which is go back and not commit evil number one, which is start drinking from the fountain of Christ, to be devoted to Christ. Your thoughts uh, uh, are going towards him, a sincere, pure devotion to him. If you omit evil number one, if you commit that evil, you will be at evil number two. And if you're trying to stop evil number two without going and, and not commit evil number one, you'll just be in whack-a-mole time with cisterns. It'll be one evil after another, but the solution here is don't commit the first evil, and getting distracted away from that devotion to Christ. Often we want, sometimes, well, take Jesus plus something else. And that will get us in trouble. Gordon Fee, in his commentary, says, too often for us, to live as uh, what we want is to live as Christ, but other pursuits—work, leisure, accumulating wealth, relationships—if the truth were known, all too often the plus factor has become our primary passion. Alan Chappell, in his book on true devotion, says there are two laws of theological mathematics. The first law is: whatever you add, you subtract. Law number two. Whatever you add to Christ is what really counts for you. That plus factor often becomes our primary passion. It's Jesus alone, not Jesus plus. And these cisterns, uh, the rain came mostly only in the winter in Israel, and so they would collect water, often it was runoff water, and these broken cisterns often were like tanks coated with limestone, dug out of a limestone with water in it, and they would crack, and they would leak out the water. It was also used to refer to things not so good often in the Scripture. Going to cisterns in Proverbs chapter 5, it says, Be satisfied with your spouse. Don't go after cisterns. And in that chapter, we're talking about prostitutes. So, two evils. Evil number one, your thoughts and affections are just straying away from the Lord. Then you commit evil number two by constructing substitutes and finding your thirst not quenched, but at least temporarily. You're drinking, it's like salt water. A temporary pleasure, but it's like sugar-coated poison. There's other examples in the Bible of this. In Luke chapter 10, Martha was distracted. Mary was sitting there listening to Jesus. If Jesus is teaching in your living room, you don't get up and fix a meal. You realize he can make a meal. He can feed thousands. That's what Mary, I mean, Martha should have thought because she even saw Jesus turn water into wine prior to that event. We see Demas distracted and leaves, loves the world more than Christ. People in the Old Testament, David was distracted one evening. Solomon was distracted. We find uh, in Psalm 73, the psalmist, Asap, was distracted. He looked at the wicked and they go, boy, they look like they prosper. The righteous look like they're afflicted every day. He goes, I think I'm a little more attracted to the the wicked. Until he goes to the temple and perceives the end as he thinks truly about God and man and man's future. And then he turns his heart back to the Lord. And whom have I in heaven but thee? There's no one I desire besides thee. There's just all kinds of examples in the scripture of this. But I want to turn your attention now to Revelation chapter 2. Jesus actually answers this problem of getting sidetracked. It was a church that he's writing to here, a church that was near and dear to the Lord. Revelation chapter 2 is the church at Ephesus. Thirty years prior... This church loved the Lord. Paul was involved in the planning of it. He sent Timothy to pastor. Then the apostle John pastored there. And then his disciple Polycarp pastored there. That's a pretty good lineup of pastors. 30 years go by, and now he's writing that church. And he says this, and you have not grown weary. Ah, here it comes. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have you have the works. Uh, You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. One commentator says, The love at first conversion for the Ephesian believers, the love of first conversion had waxed cold. And given place to a lifeless and formal orthodoxy. Dotting the I's, crossing the T's. But they weren't loving Jesus. And they weren't loving each other. There's nothing in there about loving the brethren. Because when love of Jesus grows cold, love for people grows cold. And so what the Lord tells them is, remember back on that first devotion that you had. And I would just encourage you, some of you have been maybe believers for a long time. And it's remembering back of that first devotion. I was thinking about that at Valentine's Day. Um, Zondra's just getting where she can get up and around after surgery. Uh, I'm seeing out of one eye. I had a, a surgery on my uh, eye. And, um, and we're just trying of reminiscing what it was like when we first met. Like we couldn't bear the thought of being away from each other. We just wanted to be with each other. I wanted to hold her hand all the time. And you're just going, well, what happens over time? Well, kids come along. And job and ministry and all kinds of other issues, be careful. And that's just on a human level. And the Lord is saying, don't forget me. First love devotion, that sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's almost as if Satan doesn't care if you're involved in ministry. Just get your eyes off of Jesus would be his plan. Talk about the word, but miss the the living word that the written word reveals. Spurgeon says, again, how happy you used to be in the ways of God. Your love was of that happy character that you could sing all day long when you were first converted, but now your religion has lost its luster. The gold has become dim. You know that when you come to the sacramental table. You often come there without enjoying it. There was a time, he said, when every bitter thing was sweet. Whenever you heard the word of God, it was all precious to you. Now you can grumble at the minister. Alas, the minister has many faults, but the question is whether there has not been a greater change in you than there has been in him. Many are those who say, quote, I do not hear Mr. So-and-so as I used to. When the fault lies in their own ears, Oh, brethren, when we live near to Christ, are in it our first love, it's amazing what little it takes to make a good preacher to us. He said, Why, well, I confess I have heard a poor, illiterate, primitive Methodist preach the gospel, and I felt as if I could jump for joy all the while I was listening to him. And yet he never gave me a new thought or a pretty expression, nor one figure that I could remember, but he talked about Christ and even as common things were to my hungry spirit like dainty meat, meats. And I have to acknowledge, and perhaps you have to acknowledge, he says, the same, that I have heard sermons from which I ought to have profited. But I have been thinking on the man's style or some little mistakes in grammar when I might have been holding fellowships with Christ in and through the ministry. Instead, I have not have been getting off and abroad in my thoughts, even to the ends of the earth. And what's the reason for this? He says, But then I have lost my first love. So we have to remember back the early, when we were first converted what it was like to want to pray and read the scriptures and be with God's people. And then he says, In verse, uh, he says here in Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians, in the church at Ephesus. And Revelation chapter 2, remember back, but then repent. It's three R's. It's really easy to remember. Remember back and repent. This is a clean break with your present manner of life. Make changes to pursue the sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then the third R is return. Practice. Go back and practice the first works. The first works, well, that's reading the scriptures. That's where, we, where Christ is revealed. The written word reveals the living word. And so we're, just, we're getting to know our Savior. And prayer. And just talking with the Lord to him throughout the day. And fellowshipping with God's people. And you have opportunities Uh, that were even mentioned about today and throughout the week, small groups and care groups, and then talking to those who are around you about Jesus. What fills your heart comes out your mouth. And then witnessing, just talking to others about your first love. Now that's Jesus' solution that he writes to that church who had got distracted. They were meeting every Sunday. They were busy. They couldn't tolerate some false teaching. And they were busy in ministry, but they had lost a love for Christ and for each other. But there's hope. There's grace. There's repentance. There's forgiveness. And and Christ wants this. So when we look at some intentional meditation points uh, in closing, here, just some things to think through. And so easily distracted. And I don't mean a snapshot. I mean, if some of you uh, just had a baby, I would imagine there would be several snapshots of you at the hospital or you with a, a newborn infant. But if day in and day out, all you're doing is talking about your children you're distracted. If day in and day out, the habit pattern is your mind is only on something else, you're distracted, unless it's Christ. Christ just needs to be a constant devotion, sincere, uh, and thoughts and affections going towards him. There are so many good things in our life. Ministry's great. Church is great. But for us to live is Christ. that's why Paul said even in Philippians 3, oh, that I may know him. Right? And experience the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Be careful. Even good things can become idolatrous. Even good things can become idolatrous. So question number one there, what promotes the forsaking of drinking from uh, the fountain of Christ, from learning about Christ, from devotion to Christ. What promotes that? And I listed a few things here that I found true in my life, though some that I've counseled. Not reading scripture. Be careful. Oh, I read it. How much? Uh, 10 minutes. How much time in front of the TV? How much time in the computer? How much time in social media? Hours, hours, hours. Scripture is how our minds are going to be renewed. Scripture is going to be how Christ is revealed to us. We get to know the character of God through the the Scriptures. We know what pleases Him in the Scriptures. We know what He wants us to do in commands and principles in the Scripture. You cannot take a little capsule of Scripture in the morning and think that it's going to help you to deal with all of the things throughout the day. We need to read and then meditate on it throughout the day. Memorization is very helpful. You can recall it quickly and then muse on it and apply it to situations. So reading Scripture, meditating, rehearsing the truths about God, His character, the gospel... When you forsake that, you're committing evil number one. You're not drinking at the fountain of living water. Another thing that I found promotes the forsaking is not being thankful. Uh, Ungratefulness Uh, is an evidence of our pride, but we take God for granted. It's what happened to uh, Israel in Deuteronomy 8. They were warned, be careful. You forget the Lord, and you'll think you accomplished all this rather than that he gave it to you. We need to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth and thankful to each other and for everything people do for you. Discontentment will tend to take our eyes and focus off the Lord. Discontent or disappointed with God and his plan in your life. His plan's perfect. But you may not like it. I may not like it. And then we don't really want to spend much time with someone that we don't like what they're doing. And there we go. To evil number two. I would also suggest we, don't forget, we forget about Jesus' soon return. We don't think much about, he could come right now. Anytime today. That is where our hope is at. That's why we persevere. And we should be looking forward for his return. Not who we can see in heaven, but that we can see him. So that promotes the forsaking of the fountain of living water. So what promotes our devotion to Christ? Well, I just kind of mentioned it right there. Spending time aggressively, intentionally, pursuing the spiritual disciplines that we might get to know our Savior more. Psalm 119, verse 164 says, Seven times a day I praise thee for your righteous statues. Seven times a day. There's other things where he he looks forward to the night watches so he can pray and think about the Lord. That's like every four hours. It's just throughout the day. So remembering back the time when you made profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you wanted to be loving him, knowing him, in his word, prayer, with his people, thankful, anything above hell is a blessing, that God graced you with saving faith. So remember back, repent, and return back to those first works. I would encourage you, don't leave today without thinking, what practical step can I take? Have I, have I gotten distracted from that full devotion to Christ, even on some good things in your life? But they've taken your devotion, you're away from drinking from the fountain of living water. In Proverbs 27, verse 7, To the full they loathe honey. But to the hungry, every bitter thing is sweet. Really interesting proverb. When you're full, nothing else is even appealing. But if you are hungry, everything seems sweet. We need to be so full and devoted in our contentment with Christ, not Christ plus anything, that there is that joy and that satisfaction in him alone. If you are doing well and drinking from the fountain of Christ, you are in the word, you are in prayer, uh, you're devoted uh, to him, even though you do different things and different occupations throughout the day, praise God for that. Thank him for his grace to help you and excel still more. But if you're like others uh, in here, even this morning and just find yourself, I think I, habitually I've just gotten distracted. There is hope, there is help, there is grace. You can remember back, you can repent with God's grace, and you can return. And if you are unsaved here this morning, and you're chasing after the wind, as Ecclesiastes calls it, or eating dust, there is the bread of life. There is everlasting water where you will not thirst again, in that sense, in Christ. And that you would not even leave here today without asking someone, please help me to think through this. How can I trust in Christ as my Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. In your providence, you have brought each person here. Our paths have crossed. This is the passage of Scripture that was unfolded. It's about your son, Jesus, who did not hold uh, equality with you, something to, to just hold on to, but he emptied himself, took on the form of slave, a servant, and became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on the cross to pay for our sins, those that would believe in him, to pay for our sins and then would give us, put his perfect life to our account, that we would be acceptable to you. Lord, what a gift, a gift of grace, a gift of mercy. And I pray this morning that we would remember back of that, the early days of conversion, or that this, this day might be the day of salvation. That we would repent if we are drinking elsewhere. And that our devotion would be back with Christ and Christ alone. Lord, thank you for your spirit who indwells your children and helps us. Both to will and to do. Your good pleasure. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.